Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to read the entire chapter. The sermon will cover verses 1 through 14 and then verses 21 through 23. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable, you do not know them. Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, how I hate, have, have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my heart to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the, in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray." Brothers and sisters, thus far the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Father, how we do pray that you would bless now the preaching of your Word. We come now to a section of the book of Proverbs where uh, there is much discussion about uh, sexual sins, the threat of adultery, and the way in which we are to be wise with, with regard to these things. Uh, Lord, we can see in our culture that there is a complete disregard for uh, the, 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 the seriousness of, of sexual sins, as every person seeks to do what is right in his own eyes. Uh, Lord, uh, may it be that you would grant us the wisdom to avoid uh, such snares of death, Grant us wisdom, O Lord, in the fear of your name, that we would not be led into adultery, uh, Lord, that we would not be led into any sexual sins. 
Uh, Lord, for those who are struggling with such sins, we do pray that you would uh, even use uh, this sermon to, uh, in, to promote repentance and that there would be, uh, Lord, a putting to death of these sins which are so ensnaring. For, Lord, you do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, if you will remember back to Proverbs chapter 2, you'll, you'll remember that Solomon gave instructions concerning the fear of the Lord. And the way that that passage was structured is that there was, there was basically one very long sentence. If then, uh, if you are, uh, if you fear the Lord, if you receive a father's instruction about the fear of the Lord, if you receive wisdom as she calls to you in the streets, then there will be this knowledge of the fear of God. And this knowledge of the fear of God will lead to deliverance from two kinds of people. You'll be delivered from the ungodly woman and the ungodly man, the violent man who seeks to en ensnare you in various ways, and the ungodly woman, the, the, the unchaste woman uh, who seeks to ensnare you through sexual sins. And one of the things that I mentioned at, the, at that point was that Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 are in some ways a working out of how to be delivered from those two kinds of people. It's something that, that Solomon will return to uh, over and over again. And here we have uh, in Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon actually returning to this. And we're going to see that this now will become uh, a, a key emphasis in Proverbs that will take us all the way to the end of chapter 9. And so we will see again an instructions concerning the adulteress. Uh, not just in chapter 5, but also the end of chapter 6, all of chapter 7, which will then lead us then to the final conclusion about the description of wisdom in chapter 8 and the exhortation to, to stay with her in uh, chapter 9. Now, why, why does Solomon emphasize uh, deliverance from adultery so strongly in these opening chapters of Proverbs? Why is it that this becomes such a great emphasis? As I mentioned now, it's part of the beginning, chapter 2, part of the beginning of his instructions. If you fear God, you attain wisdom. If you're able to do those things, you will be delivered from the seductress. You'll be delivered from these ungodly, violent men. And then there's all these other emphases that we're going to see over and over again. Why is this such an important thing for Solomon? The answer is because those who are wise are delivered from adultery and from all kinds of sexual sins. This is part of what it means to be wise. Those who are wise are delivered from sexual sins. That's, that's the implication. Why would Solomon spend so much time in instructions about wisdom dealing with sexual sins? The answer is because clearly he's drawing a link between being wise and avoiding sexual sins, being able to, uh, to be delivered from these kinds of sins. There's a connection between those two things. Now, this is one of the main ways that we can understand that wisdom means something more than knowledge. Something I said at the very beginning in the very first uh, sermon in, uh, in this series, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Uh, one of the things that Solomon makes very clear at the very beginning, the very opening, is that wisdom is more than simply knowledge. When, when Solomon is speaking about wisdom, he's not speaking just about knowing things. He's speaking about godliness. Part of the, the instruction of wisdom is instruction in righteousness that you may be able to know the right way to walk in this earth. And, and the, the point is that Solomon is making is, is that, you know, you could, you could know things, but if you fall into sexual sins, it's because you're a fool. It's because you're a fool. The wise are able to be delivered from these things. There is, there is wisdom and there's foolishness. You could, you, you could be a very knowledgeable fool, but those who truly fear God 
one of the benefits of it is that you will be delivered from these kinds of sins. So there is a connection then between wisdom and godliness. Now, what Solomon is, is not saying is that, you know, there can be, a person can be completely without sin. Uh, but what he is saying is that a true believer, someone who truly fears the Lord, a true Christian, that he's able to understand, this is, this is where the, the wisdom element comes in. He's able to see the true nature of these sins. He's able to understand which paths lead to sin. He's able to understand the end of those paths. And with that understanding, the, the true nature of the sins, the true nature of God, the true nature of his heart, with that understanding of those realities, that's where, he has, where he's wise, he is able to have what he needs in order to avoid those kinds of sins. That's, that's the, the, the practical way in which the wise person is, in fact, delivered from these things. The wise person understands the nature of the sins. He understands who God is. He understands his own heart. Therefore, he understands that he must call upon God for aid with regard to these sins, and God does hear the prayer of such a person who calls upon him. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the instruction that Solomon is giving with respect to the adulterer. So there's a connection then. There's a strong connection between wisdom and the seventh commandment. A strong connection between wisdom and uh, being delivered from adultery. The wise person is able to be delivered from sexual sins. And the, the basic message that Solomon is giving in uh, Proverbs chapter 5 is you are to stay away from the adulteress. It's, very, it's a very simple message. that he, he, There's lots of things he'll say in terms of reasons why, and he, he goes into the nature of the sin, all kinds of things he'll say, but the basic message is you just are to stay away. Stay away from all kinds of sexual sins as well by implication. Uh, now, the way in which this, this passage is structured, uh, first in verses 1 through 6, Solomon gives a description of the forbidden woman, of the adulteress, who is the source of the temptations. Uh, then there is the exhortation not to go near her. So you have uh, basically the main message given in verses 7 through 14. In verses 15 through 20, we're going to look at that next week. That's really the positive element. So what are you to do? Uh, you know, rather than go to the adulteress, you're to, to take pleasure in your own wife. Uh, we're going to look at that next week. Uh, but then the last part of the passage is verses 21 through 23, where uh, Solomon speaks about the significance of these sins in light of uh, the reality of God. Um, so uh, what are, what are the, the reasons why you are to stay away? He'll give some uh, earlier in the passage, but the main reasons that have to do with God are given in verses 21 through 23. So we'll look at this passage under those three headings. So again, a description of the, of the adulteress, the exhortation not to go near her, and then the concluding reasons why, uh, which are related to God uh, himself. Now, uh, you'll notice as we look at verses 1 through 6 that in the first two verses, we have the very common opening that we've seen over and over again and we'll continue to see. In Proverbs 1 through 9, uh, the passages are uh, very often, almost without exception, almost without exception, uh, they, they almost without exception begin with some kind of exhortation to the son to heed the words that are being spoken. And we've noted that one of the great significant things about this is that this lays the foundation for instruction within the family concerning these kinds of sins. You are to teach your children regarding things related to wisdom. Now, one of the implications here with regard to these sins is that Solomon is now saying that even 
instruction with regard to temptations to sexual sin, that they also must be part of familial instruction. Now, of course, this needs to be done as children are, you know, as they're come to an appropriate age, as so judged by the parents. Uh, and yet, uh, and yet, this is something that is to be part of the instruction that you give to your to, uh, to your children. So parents uh, often will think about the need to, at some point, speak to their children about uh, about uh, sexual things within marriage and that sort of thing. Uh, but what Solomon is saying here is that there's also need to warn your children about the sexual sins that they will face. And this is particularly important today because this is one of the one of the main areas, it, probably the main area, where the world is trying to uh, infiltrate families and devour and destroy children is in the area of sexual sins. And therefore, this has to be something, not just explaining general things, but even what, what are the ways in which you will be tempted? Those need to be explained. And, and what, what will appear to be attractive? How will they try to entice you? And how you are to understand the end of these things, the, the nature of those kinds of sins need, needs to be uh, explained. Now, this is exactly what Solomon does in verses 3 through 6. In verses 3 through 6, there is a description, a formal description of uh, the forbidden woman. And this can be broken up into two parts. In verse 3, Solomon actually does describe the things that will appear to be attractive. So what Solomon is, is not saying is, you know, these, these things are just going to appear to be gross. He, he recognizes there is going to be something that appears to be enticing. That's going to be the nature of the temptation. So that's the reason why it is, in fact, a temptation. But what, what Solomon wants to impress upon his son is this. It will appear enticing, but the true nature of it, verses 4 through 6, is death. That the temptation will be that you, that you, you see these kinds of things. You hear these words being spoken, and there is going to be some kind of enticement there. But what you have to understand is, is that what you cannot see is that the end of those things always leads to death, that the true nature is death with regard to those things. So notice here, in, uh, with regard to verse 3 in particular, uh, the thing that Solomon emphasizes is the lips of the immoral woman. So for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. So again, he's not, he's not trying to, to, to say there's, there's nothing that's going to be unattractive. There will be, there will be something. And particularly here, the idea is the words that are being spoken, there will be, there's some kind of enticement to sin that, that appears to be sweet. And that's going to happen. You, you need to understand that's going to happen. And as I, as your pastor, speak to you, you, all of you need to understand it's going to happen in your own lives. And children growing up need to understand it's going to happen. There will always be these kind of enticements to sin. Uh, Christ says, woe to the world for a temptation to sin. Well, woe, to the, woe to the one through whom those temptations come. But he does then say as well, there is, there is always going to be a temptation. There's, there's a necessity of the temptations to come. It's the, the very nature of the world we live in as fallen. We pray that we be never let into temptation. We strive to avoid it as best we can. And yet we recognize we will also need to be strengthened to be able to face the temptation. We, we need to be strengthened such that when we go into temptation, we are able to be delivered out of it. And so in the world today, we see this all over the place. The, 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 uh, the lips of the immoral woman which drip honey. You think of today's world, as I mentioned, is already uh, very highly sexualized. 
And there is in the world today a great attempt, a great attempt to glamorize sexual sins. There's this great attempt to glamorize everything that is perverse. If the more perverse, the more it is attempted to be glamorized today. We see this in TV, movies, uh, particularly uh, going back even decades with the normalization of fornication. Uh, but today it's gone even far beyond that, the celebration of really every single kind, kind of perversity. And the goal in all of these cases is to, uh, what, what, is, what is said is the goal is to normalize it. But the, what, what normalization, the attempt at normalization, what it's really doing is it's, it's attempting to portray things that are sinful as good and right and beautiful. There is, there is an attempt to glamorize things which are evil. That is the thing that the culture is trying to do. And what needs to happen, there needs to be, brothers and sisters, you need to understand that that is the case, but you also need to instruct your children so that they are warned that this is what the culture is trying to do. The culture is trying to make things that are very, very evil appear to be good. But as Solomon says in verses four through six, the end is death. The end is death. The, the end is death. Notice, notice where he says it. Uh, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Uh, she is, the, the end is death. Those who are wise understand that the nature of sexual sins is this. They may appear to be desirable on the outside, but their real nature is death. It, it is very much like uh, trying to uh, gild uh, dry bones with gold, such that everything appears to be gold, but if you just scratch the surface even a little bit, there's only death. This is the way in which sexual sins are. This is their uh, very nature. And in the last verse, lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. And then the, the translation we have here is you do not know them. Uh, better translation is actually that she does not know them. The, the idea is that uh, her path is not the path of life she does not know the path of life. The, 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 the path of these kinds of sexual sins is the pathway of death, and there's not even a recognition that this is, in fact, the nature of the path. And we see, we've, we've discussed this in other sermons in the past, but it is quite true. There is not a recognition today that all of these kinds of sexual sins lead to death, even as they continually lead people to death, even as the death can be clearly seen. There is not a recognition that this is, in fact, the path, and therefore it is the fool it's the fool who falls for these things. The reason it's, it's, it makes you foolish is because it shows you do not understand the nature of it. You do not understand, you, you see the outward enticement and you think, well, this is the way it is. But the wise one knows better because he knows that the true nature of these kinds of things is actually that they lead to death. That, that there, is an outward, there is an outward glamour but in reality, they lead to death. One of the things that we've noted even in pre a previous sermon is uh, women involved in, in the production of, of pornography have an unusually low life expectancy, 37 years old, 37 years old. What, how, how could that be? It's because those sins lead to death. They lead to death. It appears to be glamorous on the outside, but its end is always death. And brothers and sisters, the, the point is to say this, is that those kinds of sins, they lead others to death, but also if you become ensnared and entangled in them, they will lead you to death as well. That's, that's the reason that Solomon is giving this description. Uh, you have to understand the true nature of these sins. And so, of course, of course, if this is truly the, the nature 
of, of the adulteress, so to speak, of the forbidden woman, the immoral woman. Then, of course, then, the exhortation makes perfect sense in verses 7 and 8. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. The exhortation is very simple. If this is the nature, stay away. Stay away from these kinds of sins. Stay away from the, from the culture that is pushing these things. Stay away from these things. It is something that leads to death. Uh, Solomon then goes on in verses 9 through 14 to give some initial reasons why you should do this. So why should you do this? He says, lest, lest, and then there's various things that happen. And basically in, in verses uh, 9 and 10, he lists a number of things that you're going to lose. Uh, and the reason why there is this connection between these kinds of sins and losing things within your life is because, uh, as the scriptures teach, sexual sins in particular are especially entangling. They are especially ensnaring. Uh, very often there, is, uh, there are arguments that are made, something like, you know, well, uh, it's always a hypothetical situation that's never one in reality because it, it can't exist in reality. But, but there is this, this argument of, you know, what, let's say these two people, they, they have sexual relations and, uh, and, you know, they both agree to it and it doesn't hurt anyone else, and you know, it's okay because it's just not affecting anyone else. So, so why do you care? It, it's not doing anyone else harm, just let them do it. But the reality is, is that the problem is that these sins are always entangling. They are by their nature entangling. To, to say, to, to, to entertain the idea of a hypothetical situation where someone could commit these sins and say, well, I'm just doing it by myself, it's not gonna hurt anyone else. It's not gonna, it's not gonna affect anyone else, it's just affecting me. It, it, that, that would be like someone trying to give you this hypothetical. Let's say, let's say a person jumps into a lake and uh, he jumps into a lake and doesn't get wet and, and then goes on from there about, the, that, about, the, the, about what would be the, the reality, what, what, what would be the result if, uh, if someone jumps into a lake and doesn't get wet. The problem is, is that the lake is filled with water and water by nature gets you wet. So it's not, it's not possible. It's not a possible hypothetical scenario. And the same thing is true with sexual sins. They are by their nature entangling. They are by their nature ensnaring. There, there's no such thing as the, as the I have committed the sin and it only affects me. And it's not going to, to affect anyone else in my life. And it's not going to have any other repercussions than, than simply the enjoyment of this act. It is the fool who says that. He does not understand the very nature of the sin itself. And so Solomon himself says, here's what, what will happen to you. Stay away from her lest you give your honors to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last. At the end of the day, you will mourn. The, the, the point is, is that all these, all these consequences, that they're not just, um, they're not just, you know, things that will happen uh, with, within, um, you know, it, within the relationship itself. The point is that there are, this, these sins will affect many other areas of your life and they will ruin your life. They will ruin your life. They will ruin your work. They will ruin your, uh, the, the products that you produce. They will ruin the strength of your body. They will ruin your years. They will ruin your life as a whole. And what Solomon then is saying is, then in verses 11 through 14 is, when all these things happen then, if you do not heed the words of Scripture, if you do not heed the instruction of your pastor and your parents with regard to these kinds of sins, 
all these things are going to happen. Your life will be ruined and in shambles. And then in that day, he's saying, then you're going to say this lament. This will be the way in which you mourn. And he gives this in verses 11 through 14. Your, when your flesh and your body are consumed, all these things will come upon you. And you'll say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. The point, the point that Solomon is making is, is he's, what he's telling his son is this. If you allow yourself to be ensnared by these sins, you will always regret it. Not just not just small kinds of regrets. Your life will be ruined and you'll wish you could have gone back and changed those sins and never done them. And in that day, you will mourn when it's too late and you will speak about hating, uh, about the way in which you hated this kind of instruction. Brothers and sisters, this is the warning that I'm giving to you. If you do not put these kinds of sins to death, this will be your lament. Your life will be ruined. And in that day, you'll say, I wish I would have done it differently. I wish I would have done it differently. And there will be some consequence that will be, that will be uh, permanent. Uh, you, you, it's not to say that there can be no forgiveness, but even with forgiveness, there are very often are permanent consequences. You think of uh, David with Bathsheba. Uh, he is forgiven of his sins. Nathan comes and tells him, your sins have been put away. The child still dies. The product of the union, he dies. David pleads for the child's life. It, it, it does not avail. And then God says, the sword will never depart from your house. It will never depart from your house. All the way to the end. And this, these are the very real consequences that David faced for his sexual sins. It's, it's, not, uh, it, it's, so there, it's not that there can be no forgiveness, but there is a reality to, a, uh, to permanent kinds of consequences that happen with sins that are particularly entangling. Such that you know, there, there can be forgiveness and redemption and those sorts of things. But brothers and sisters, the warning before you slip into these sins is that you will still regret it. You will still regret it. Even if you receive forgiveness from God and there's real repentance and all those things. Even if you, if you are able to conquer those sins and put them to death, you will still regret the effects that those sins have upon your life. There will be some kind of permanent effect on your life. Now notice the way that Solomon even describes this lament. Putting, uh, speaking about the words that his son will say, he'll say uh, positively, here, here's what, what, what will be learned, what, what the son will have learned. He'll say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. Positively, not in the manner of something being good, but this is what he positively did. He hated instruction. Uh, the, 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 the being entangled in sexual sins shows a hatred of instruction from the scriptures which teach you to flee from sexual sins. And uh, and, uh, and then secondly then, notice in verse 13, this is said from the negative, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, negatively. Uh, so so he, positively he hated instruction. Negatively he did not obey the voice of his teachers nor inclined uh, his ear to those who instructed me. Uh, brothers and sisters, you, you, you think about this. Um, you, hear, you hear instruction with regard to these kinds of sins all the time. You hear them in the church and uh, hopefully, if you are a, a child and you've grown up in the church, or if you're an adult who's grown up in the church, you've heard them from your parents as well. Uh, this is what, what Solomon is speaking about, not just, um, you know, uh, not, not just the church, but all those who have instructed. And the point is that when you fall into these kinds of sins, it shows that you have not heeded the voice of those who have so instructed you. Notice even further than in verse 14. Verse 14 makes it clear 
that Solomon is actually speaking about these sins in the context of the church. Uh, Remember, he's speaking to his own son. So not not a a Gentile, not not a pagan, but someone who is within the church. And And the way in which Solomon describes the mourning of the son in verse 14 is, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. So now, now, I'm, now I'm in the church and I see that I'm in complete ruin. Uh, the, the words translated here for assembly and congregation, uh, they, they are the words that do in fact mean church. The way that the, the Greek Old Testament translated those words is the same words that are used in the New Testament for the word uh, church. So the idea is that this is, the, this is the Old Testament church, the gathering of the saints. And in that context, you will find uh, yourself to be on the verge of total ruin. Uh, that's the way in which Solomon describes uh, these kinds of sins. And brothers and sisters, again, I testify to you that if you allow sexual sins to, pro- to progress in your life, if you do not put them to death, if you do not cry out to God for deliverance, if you do not turn to him in the fear of the Lord, if you do not recognize the ensnaring nature of these sins and fight to put them to death by the Spirit, you will be in the same position one day, mourning, over the falling apart of your life. You will, be, you will be in the same position, your life in shambles, your labor going to another, and your strength wasted. Uh, this is, these are serious sins. Do not let them live. Do not let these sins live. Now, if, if this were all that Solomon gave in terms of reasons for staying away from these sins, surely that would be enough. It should be enough. And yet, Solomon goes even further in verses 21 through 23 because he shows not only is it just naturally wise in the sense of it's, it's not going to destroy your life if you stay away from these sins. If you, if you get entangled in these sins, it is going to destroy your life. But also, there is a relationship between these things to God himself. The main reason to put these sins away that goes beyond even the fact that your life will be ruined is the fact that these sins are done in the sight of God. They are done in the sight of God. So Solomon, this this is the way that Solomon ends. This is the the, the climax of his instruction with regard to these things. Now, the reason this is significant is because all sins are done in secret. Sins in general, by by its nature, they are deeds done in darkness. This is one of the reasons why the scriptures have this this, uh, dichotomy of light and darkness. And the the point that that is made in John 3, for instance, is that Christ is is the light of the world, and people do not want to come to him because they... They like being in the darkness because if they come to the light, they know that their deeds will be exposed. And the purpose of describing uh, this contrast between light and darkness is, by, is to show that one of the nature of sin, uh, something that's, that's one element of sin is that it prefers to be done in the darkness. Those who sin prefer to do it in the darkness. They do not want it to come to light. They want it, in fact, to be hidden. And this is especially true of sexual sins. The very, uh, the, the very nature of these kinds of, sh- of sins is that they're they are shameful. And so there is, there is something even particularly with sexual sins where this is uh, even more the case. And so this is also the reason why then in the Psalms, uh, one of the things then that shows that the wicked, uh, that the wicked are in fact foolish is because they do their sins in darkness as if God does not see them. So, so the idea of going to a dark place to do the sin is, well, now I can't be seen. But if, if that's your, your understanding, if that's what you're trying to do, the problem is that what you're not recognizing is that God still sees you. You're not recognizing that God still sees, 
This is the, the point of what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 139. You know, he has that beautiful description of how you can't go anywhere from God. You could, you could go to the heights of heaven. God is there. You can go to the depths of the earth. God is there. The darkness, you can go into the darkness, but the darkness is as, is as light with God. Even, even in the very womb, you are known by God because you are fearfully and wonderfully made by Him. You are knit together in the womb, and all God's thoughts of you are more than even what you could uh, count as the, as the sand of the sea. And what's the conclusion? Therefore, search my heart. Therefore, search my heart. The point is that my entire life is open before you. I'm going to live my life in the understanding that you do, in fact, see. And I'm going to plead with you, search my heart. If there's anything, any way in me, in me that does not lead to life, put that to death and lead me in the way of, uh, uh, that is everlasting. Lead me in the way of life. The fool, by contrast, says, God will never see. God will never see. I can do the deed in the darkness, and God never sees. So you think of the way in which the psalmist describes the foolishness of this. He points out in Psalm 94, Does he who formed the eye, does he not see? There's, and there's the, 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 the entirety of the foolishness. God does see. And Solomon is pointing out this in verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The point is, is that these sins, you can try to do them in the dark, but you are doing them publicly in the sense that you are doing them right in the open before God's eyes. And, and often, often sins will not be done before others because they are seen. But the point that Solomon is making is there's no sin that's not seen. Everything is open before God. This is, this is the point, by the way, too, of, of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, the scriptures take having another god as being adultery against God. And before me doesn't mean higher than me. In this instance, before me means in my sight. What, 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 what is really happening in the first commandment is, is Moses is saying, if you take another God, you are committing adultery with God before his very face. That's, that's the nature of that kind of sin. And so as you think about the deeds that are supposed to be done in darkness, that you try to do in the darkness with regard to these kinds of sins, the thing that Solomon points out is that they are in fact done before the Lord himself. And therefore, Therefore, you cannot escape the consequences of them, which he describes in verses 22 and 23, which is this, that very often God, one of the ways in which he judges the wicked in this life before the final judgment, one of the ways in which he shows that certain things are sinful is that he causes the wicked to fall by their own sins. They become entrapped by their very sins, and therefore uh, God uh, is in, in that way showing the 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 uh, sinful nature of the sin itself. He's, there's a, there's a, a, a clear and obvious connection between the sin and the consequence that follows because it is by the sin that, that, uh, the, that the wicked follows. Uh, Solomon has described sin in this way in chapter 1, the very beginning where he speaks about the sins of the gang, the, the violent men, where he talks about them, uh, they lay a net to capture others, but they're really laying a net for their own feet. God's going to use their own trap against them. And what Solomon is saying here is that this will happen even with sexual sins. Uh, they will ensnare you. And by those very sins, those will be the, that'll be the way in which you die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of your folly, you will go astray. Uh, this, these are the, this is the nature of these kinds of sins. Now, I recognize as I speak about these sins, 
that these sins are entangling. And so uh, I've recognized as well that there may be some here who are entangled in sexual sins in one way uh, or another. And, and one of the things that is common with regard to sexual sins, especially today since there are so many that are so common, is that there's an attempt to say something like everyone does it. Everyone does it and either therefore it's okay or therefore I can't do anything to extricate myself from them. The idea being I'm entangled, everyone's entangled, nobody can, nobody can get out of the mess, no one can get out of the entanglement of it and therefore there is a sort of, of helpless disposition. Uh, you know, even if you don't like the sins, you, you just think, well, I'm just, I'm trapped by them, I'm enslaved by them, and there's nothing I can do, because, look, everyone struggles with these things, and no one's been able to be delivered. That's the way in which, in which, in which people speak. But brothers and sisters, this perspective is never found in the scriptures. It is never found in the scriptures. The scriptures speak, rather, of the great danger of these sins, and then they encourage you to flee. The reason why you are encouraged to flee is because the implication is that it actually can be done, that the fleeing is actually possible. Now, you, you may say, well, I've tried this and that, and I've not been able to do it on my own strength. Now, I will agree with you that you can't do it on your own strength, but the way in which you are to flee is to stay away and then to call upon God for aid, call upon God for help. This is, this is part of the promise of the gospel, that God will deliver you from sins. You are not a slave to sin. It is true. Those sins are by nature enslaving. You are not a slave to sin if you are in Christ. You are not a slave to sin if you are in Christ. And this is something that you are to believe. It's part of the, the, the obligation that the thing that we confess in our faith is that Christ is able to deliver you from the power of the devil. He's able to deliver you from the power of, of all of these kinds of sins. God is able to do it. You must believe and turn to him. The and, and in turning to him, then, you are to flee. You are to flee from these kinds of sins. Uh, do you need help fleeing? The thing you should do is go to God, ask for help, be, but, but be sure that you do actually flee. Be sure that you actually flee from these sins. Stay far away from them. Now, uh, as I mentioned, there are, are there are, uh, these sins are particularly entangling. There are very few things that cause people to have more regrets than sexual sins. They are extraordinarily serious. And we have uh, seen in our own country that with each successive generation, these sins have become more and more accepted, more celebrated. People are introduced to them at a younger age. There, is, there are more vigorous arguments that are given in favor of them. But brothers and sisters, the thing that has not changed is the nature of the sins they still lead to death just like they always have. Despite all of the attempt to normalize all these things and all of the arguments for them, they still lead to death. The, 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 the death part has not been mitigated in the slightest. It's not been mitigated in the slightest. Where are you to go to be delivered from these things? You are to fear the Lord. And, and I'll just conclude with this with regard to... to uh, seeking the Lord and in prayer. What are you to do if you find yourself entrapped? Pray to God for forgiveness, the fifth petition, and then pray to God using the sixth petition, Lord, lead me not into temptation. And when I'm in temptation, deliver me out of it. Uh, may it be that God would grant you the heart so to pursue Christ and that you would seek above all else to reserve yourself pure and blameless for him remembering that you are a part of the body of Christ, 
that, that Christ has died to purchase your holiness and that he is able to bring you out uh, of these sins and to reserve you for himself. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do, Lord, how we do pray that you would grant us your spirit, that you would grant us your spirit, that we might uh, put these sins to death. Uh, Lord, grant us our hearts to be wise. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing it is, as we think even back to Proverbs chapter 2, that there, is, that there is this instruction that if we receive wisdom, we will know the fear of the Lord and be delivered, even from these kinds of sins. Lord, deliver us from these kinds of sins. Grant to us a true wisdom in this regard, O Lord, uh, to understand the nature of these sins and to act accordingly, understanding the nature of our hearts to be prone to temptation, but understanding as well your nature and the glory of the gospel uh, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby even these sins can be uh, put to death. For Lord, you do ask all these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.